Thank you very much. Good morning. Well, here we go. Round two. We won't be able to say that for very long. Uh, A lot of firsts that we're uh, stepping into together. And uh, it's really, really exciting. And last week was a wonderful launch, as we said. Looking forward to... Many more opportunities to see the number saved, equaling the number serving, as Andrew was talking about. We, uh, we believe with um, hand, all hands on deck. And uh, so if you can, just check with Andrew, different ones like that. We have plenty of opportunities to serve just in the setup here, but other areas in the community and, and whatnot. We want to see you be able to be put to work there. Uh, this morning... We want to uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And you can leave your, your Bible open there. Actually, the last part of chapter 12 there. I want to share this morning on tenacious love. Tenacious love. Anybody tenacious? What does that mean? Sorry? Fervent. Good. Zealous. Zealous. Won't let go. Yep, Damien. Unrelenting. Yeah, I had a few here. I looked it up. So, it means strong. I knew I liked the word. I just wasn't sure all the different, uh, you know, got to get in your thesaurus and look up some other words to go out. Strong, unshakable, immovable, unwavering. This is love with moxie. You guys ever heard that term before? This is love with moxie. This is love that never quits. Let's look here in the last part of chapter 12. And it's verse 27. It says, Now all of you together are Christ's body. Did you get that? We're talking about communion, the unit of power of communion. All of you together are Christ's body. And each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Here's a list of some of the members that God has placed in the body of Christ. Now, just before this, in the earlier parts of chapter 12, he's talking about all the gifts, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives to us as members of His body to build the body up, to minister to one another. And so he's going to name here a few here. He says, first are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers and those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing. Anybody feeling left out so far? Okay. Then we have those who help others. That's the spirit of the janitor right there. Okay. Those who help others. No, it's just you, you recognize a need and you meet that need. What? That's a gift? That's right. And we should desire to have these different gifts. And we can step into these, these different gifts. Those who can get others to work together. Okay, my daughter Trinity. This is one of her gifts. That's why her. That's what her name means: is one unity. She's a mediator. She's she's always working to get the rest of the family to work together, get along, work stuff out. So our family motto is: we're always faithful. We never give up. 
And as Trinity used to say when she was younger, and always stick stuff out. She got the whole we work stuff out mixed up. But we always work stuff out. And those who speak in unknown languages. Okay, Espanol and... Yeah, right, Sammy? That is an unknown language to me. So, but that... Obviously, he's not talking about that. He's talking about spiritual language. So, is everyone an apostle? Of course not. Is everyone a prophet? Nope. All Are all teachers? Does everyone have the power to do miracles? Does everyone have the gift of healing? Of course not. Does God give us all of us the ability to speak in unknown languages? Can everyone interpret unknown languages? No. And in any event, you should desire the most helpful gifts. First, however, let me tell you about a little something that's better than any of them. If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prop, gift to prophesy, and if I knew the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything, and I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love... If I didn't love others, what good would it be? What, Without love, I would be no good to anybody. Verse 3 of 13. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But, if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. All the great things, all the, all the nice credentials... All the numbers and letters behind your name, if you don't have love, it's worthless. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. You notice I'm taking some time on this. Taking it slow. Love is not irritable. Once again, anybody resembling any of these things? The opposite of what he's saying. I'm hearing a lot of, dang, shoot. It keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It's never glad about injustice. But it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7, love never, ever, ever gives up. Never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. Man, when there is no hope, it hopes. Okay? Natasha? You might be wondering why the emotion right now. Um, Natasha's father is facing a very serious situation and uh, that seems hopeless, that seems impossible. 
Her father's in a big fight with cancer right now. Hits me particularly hard because I just lost my father this summer. And uh, I want us to I want us to stand together right now. I just want to pray for your dad. Those of you who are just around Todd and Natasha, you just put your hands on them and then just stand in proxy of her father, Neil. And please, this month, in particular in the coming days here, remember Neil and uh, Jesus. We have nowhere else to turn but to you. And, and it, we're, not, we're not looking for anything else, but we just say, Jesus, you're our source. You're our hope. You're the, the one who heals. God, I believe that even as a result of what our family went through with my dad, I believe that you're giving us a special grace in regards to eradicating and destroying the cancer that is going to hit people. That there are going to be people that are are going to be radically healed because of what we've been allowed to touch. And uh, we just speak over Neil's body right now. In the name of Jesus, respond to the Word of the Lord. We command a healing over his body. That his cells would fight. That they would go through and eradicate every cancer molecule in his body. In Jesus' name, in his bones, in his blood, throughout his system, in his tissue. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, healing over him. Amen. Amen. Agape is this word love that talked about there in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape in the Greek. It's where we get the word charity from. And we hear that, you know, Catholic charities and, you know, we think of this organization, nonprofit that kind of, you know, is a, a, a funneling of, of money and goods and resources and time and energy from, from people to help others that are in need. And, but this is not a soft love. This is, this is a, you know, as you helped me describe this type of love, uh, this, this has, this is love in action. Say it with me. Love in action. So when you see the word charity, which the the King James uses that word, uh, this is love that is not just sitting still, it's moving, it's doing something. This is love that's incapable of sitting back and doing nothing when a need is discerned. Now this is important. When God is desiring to meet that need through us. Uh, this is this is interesting because you got to remember Jesus didn't heal everyone he came across that was sick. He said, "I only do what I see my Father doing." The thing that I find in my own life is I'm blind a lot of times to what Father's doing. Jesus had a direct, you know, link in, and and I, I mean, right? He's God. He's man. The God Man. He had it together. He could. He knew exactly where Father was working. He never missed it. But that's not always us. And but Jesus created this word. He brought this word to this world. This is an otherworldly love. One that came from heaven to earth. This didn't exist before. 
There's a, there's a Hebrew uh, kind of parallel to it, but it's not, it's not quite the same. But this love contains the power to see a need and meet it. It has the power to overcome hate. It rolls it back. Yeah, this is a ferocious love. This is a tenacious love. The power to forgive the worst of wrongs. Bank on it. Those are, those are really trite words right there that we're talking about until we actually have to live that out. Sometimes in our lives, I think we face certain things and we think, you know what, this, this is outside of the capacity for God's love to be able to address this issue. He says, no, this one covers it all. It's the power to endure immense suffering. It's the power to love a hated enemy. And this really rocked people when Jesus brought this. I'm giving you the power to actually love your enemy. The one that in in the natural, all you want to do is go to blows. You you want to get your gun, right? Because... No, not you guys. I thought that was just me. The power even to love them. Makes you think of of, uh, stories that you've heard about the Holocaust. And you think, after you've seen what you've seen, the mass genocide, and yet there is somehow an ability to even even though they are able to see that to forgive the wrongs that have been done to them on the highest level. Yeah. We touched on this last week, Romans 5, 6 through 8. This is the type of love that we're talking about in our Jesus. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, here's the clincher, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's eternal judgment. And then John 3.16, one of the more, most familiar scriptures known to mankind. For God so loved the world that He gave. He refused to stand by and watch us die. He refused. He refused to wait for us in order to pursue reconciliation with Him. You ever thought that before? You know what? Um, I'm just going to wait for them to come to me. Because they wronged me. God was wronged on the highest level possible. Betrayed by us as mankind. All of us are included in that. When Adam sinned, the Scriptures say we sinned right along with him. And yet he didn't wait for us to come to Him, He came pursuing us. Thank you, Jesus. 
He pursued forgiveness before we ever asked for it. He provided the life for our death before we ever knew we needed it. That's why we sing the kind of stuff that we do. That's why we sing with with abandon and people are raising their hands and dancing around and doing their jig and stuff. They're doing the Jesus has saved me jig. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, how can you not? You know, when you you go to a concert, you go to any type of athletic event, the team scores and you get excited. What do you do? You stand up, you're you're fist pumping, you're high fiving. Why is that lacking in church? Right. I mean, not to take anything away from them. They're good players and all, but come on. They never saved your life. They never pulled you out of anything. They took your money, for crying out loud. And we're like... We get up in church and it's like... It's quiet. Can we act like that in church? I don't know how to say it any more clearly. Jesus, in this type of tenacious love, reaches the unreached, touches the untouched, and loves the unloved. Mm -mm. Who are we compared to those who perhaps don't know God right now? We're one beggar. Showing another beggar where to find bread. We're one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. We're, we have all received, if we're in Christ, if, if we're born again, if we've been rescued. The only difference between us and somebody who doesn't know God already, again, it's that we're that beggar. There's no re- reason for arrogance or oh, we got it all together or anything like that. Right? We're one beggar showing another beggar, hey, here's where to find bread. The bread of life. Jesus Christ. We can never underestimate the power of touch. And again, we've got to remember, this isn't me reaching out and touching justice. Give me your hand, son. <laughs> You see, Jesus says, I'm reaching through your life. Never underestimate the power of touch. When you touch someone's life, when you connect with somebody else, never underestimate the power of a smile. I'm telling you, I have met people before where they have literally, they have not had a hug in years. Years. And that is becoming more common all the time. They've not had someone touch them other than maybe a, a, a sexual touch. Somebody trying to use them. You know, Jesus encountered people all the time that we read in the Gospels. Women had been defiled, used, and abused. And Jesus touched them and it was so pure. They were so drawn to Him because they had never had a man touch them in a pure way before. Where He wasn't trying to get something or elicit some sort of pleasure from her. When you allow Jesus to touch through you, 
We have no idea what that means. They will think about that touch. They will think about that smile. They'll think about that, hey, how's your day going? You doing all right? You know, you can see it. People are walking around all the time. If you, if we have eyes to see, ears to hear, all the time, people just walking around, their world is just rocked. And just to be able to say, hey, you doing all right today? And then listen for that response. Ah, oh, it's okay. Oh, really? I, I, yeah, I just kind of noticed, man. You look like you're having a tough day. Well, you know, just... Oh, really? I... Open up the door. See what Jesus might want to do. Mom was telling me, she was telling me a story about someone recently who experienced their first birthday party. Somebody threw them a birthday, first time in over 50 years. Last time they had a birthday party was when they were 10 years old. You know what that meant to them? See, simple things. We, we celebrate birthdays around our house all the time. Seems like we got one every other week or something. You know, with all the grandkids and you know aunts and uncles and stuff, we're celebrating constantly. Things I just take for granted. I just become familiar with those things. Think of what a, the impact just throwing a birthday party for somebody could be. Right? Yeah. So simple. Yeah. So simple. The way that Jesus wants to use this. We need to be clear on something though. Christianity is not just a, some social program. That's not what this is about. This is not um, some social program designed to just get people off the streets. And, and uh, as good as those things are, you know, to cure, po- you know, deal with poverty and all that stuff, we need to be doing those things. But we're not talking about a social program. This love compels us beyond my comfort zone, my past. My social or economic status, it, it, it compels me far beyond convenience. Why don't you look at some? Let's go over to James 2. James chapter 2. Before we get into this, section of Scripture here in verse 14. I just want you to understand something. We're not talking... James is going to talk about faith and works. He's not talking about salvation. We're not talking about trying to earn something. Earn our way into good, you know, into good uh, standing with God by doing something. We're talking about doing something as a result of being something already. We're moving from a place of already received acceptance and love and all that kind of stuff from God. But he's just saying there's no way that we can receive from God and not actually do something about it. Okay, Martin Luther really had a hard time uh, with the book of James. He, he actually didn't want it to be canonized because he just saw so much works in there and people getting caught up. And, you know, he was just like, that, hey, God had an emphasis on grace for him at that time with the Catholic Church and all that. So, just want to clear that up. It says, verse 14, Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying that you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? Okay, James, tell us what you really think about it. 
That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing, and you say, hey, well, goodbye, God bless, stay warm, eat well. Wink, wink, no, no, say no more. And then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. What we're talking about here is conviction plus action. He's saying that's what equals biblical faith. A conviction plus action. You can't, what, if I can have a great conviction about something. If I do nothing about it, you're going to say, listen, I, I, need to see, I need to see some evidence. Show me in your deeds. Words are really cheap, aren't they? He's saying talk's cheap. Now, someone may say, some people have faith, others have good deeds. I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. But I will show you my faith through my good deeds. Do you still think it's enough just to believe that there is one God? Mm. Well, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. When will you ever learn that faith that does not result in good deeds is useless. Let's go over to Luke chapter 10. Those words hitting anybody else besides me. Luke chapter 10. Hmm. Let's read this here, starting in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking Him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, And all your mind. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. Was he correct? Right to O, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He's putting him to the test. Jesus replied with an illustration. He said, A Jewish man was traveling on it a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money. They beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, excuse me, by chance, a Jewish priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed over on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver, told him to take care of the man. 
If this bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now, he says to the legal expert, now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, well, it was the man who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Christ's love is, first of all, a simple response to need. Again, we're not just a social program because the church has a lot more to offer than just the needs of the body. In other words, the physical body. There are emotional needs that God is interested in meeting. And of course, there are spiritual needs. Because if the body is healed and yet the spirit goes to, or the soul goes to hell, what good does it do? It could be a smile, be care for the sick, it could be visiting a prisoner, it could be repairs. It's working where Father is working. You know, the Samaritan, it's not that he didn't have anything better to do. Obviously, this is a story that Jesus is making up, but you get the idea that, you know, he had some measure of wealth. He seemed to be well educated, he had some measure of influence. The fact that this innkeeper would trust him. He was someone with character, integrity. Now, the history between the Jews and Samaritans is quite amazing. At the time that Jesus would have told this story, uh, the history between these two people, these two people groups, was probably about a thousand years old. The Samaritans traced their family line back to some of the most notorious characters in, in uh, Hebrew history. Ahab and Jezebel. Heard that term before. You know, Jezebel is always associated with uh, sexual immorality. And she was uh, pretty much, you know, single-handedly brought this wave of sexual immorality and perversion into uh, the Jewish people. And they opened the nation up to idolatrous gods that would steal their devotion from Jehovah. They intermarried. They allied with other pagan nations. They betrayed Israel whenever it was politically expedient. So you've got to ask yourself, what was going through the minds of the Jewish people who heard this story that Jesus was telling? Like, you have got to be kidding me right now. They, they didn't even want to mention, the, they, they never even said the word Samaritan unless they were cussing somebody out. Yeah. I'm seriously, later on there's a, there's a section where uh, they actually call Jesus this, you know, Samaritan devil. You know, when they, that was right before they wanted to stone him. So you can imagine, they save that word for some choice moments, opportunities. So we have the Jews that are receiving this when they're hearing this parable. We have this severely beaten Jewish man lying half dead on the road. This priest who worships daily at the temple. 
He's revered by his countrymen for having this special status with God. He sees the man but passes by and does nothing. He's a church folk guy. Every Sunday, every Wednesday night, you know, he's making it happen. He's sitting there, he's receiving it, but he passes by. There was a Levite who's a member of the tribe set apart by God for his special service and worship. Rolls right on past. Leaves the guy bleeding. And then finally, a Samaritan. He's an ignorant half-breed. He's got a messed up theology. He stops. He kneels down. He takes the time. This man that he's kneeling over, if this man who he was kneeling over was healthy, he would probably be spitting in his face. He knows exactly who he's ministering to. He's moved with compassion. By the man's condition, his sworn enemy, yet compassion and love compel him. Who's the Samaritan? Who's the Samaritan in this story? Jesus is painting a self-portrait, isn't he? The Samaritan in this story is, of course, Christ himself. They're so blinded by their religious pride. By what they think God wants, wants them to do. By what God thinks or what they think God wants them to be. They're completely missing it. It's like, you guys don't understand, there's a love that should compel you that you're completely missing out on. Now, this is a beautiful part of it. We've talked about this before, but... You know, how, remember how Jesus was with his disciples when, when they lacked humility. What did he do? He served them and he washed their feet. Because that's what love does. Because that's who love is. When they lacked faith, what did he do? He helped them. He performed more miracles. When they failed to believe, He taught them again and again and again. And when they failed to believe, He loved them first and continually by selflessly laying down His life. Husbands, fathers, This starts with us. We are commanded in the Scriptures to lay down our lives for our wives. To serve our children. 
to lead by pulling. That means you're out in front. Not standing back saying, go, 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 do this, do that. We're leading by example. Husbands, we're, we're giving an example to our sons of what it means to be a man who lays down his life, who, who serves, who, who gives up what he his selfish desires for the needs of his wife. You know how many times that's been tested in our marriage? Every day, when the dishes need to be done, or things need to be handled with the kids, or, or whatever those things are, to be able to take that weight off of our wives. Instructing, training, disciplining our kids. Pouring on the love. Pouring on the love. Women begins with wives and mothers serving in their homes. Serving whatever capacity is is necessary. Because they've seen an example already of Christ. As Christ says, He lays down His life for the church. And then she sees that in her husband. That example... Husbands, if you have expectations of your wives to do certain things, lead the way. Show her how it's done. Rather than telling her what to do, lead by example. I'm eating these words right now, guys. Come on. When nobody said this was easy, this is tenacious love. This is love with moxie. This is unrelenting, unwavering. This, is, this love is humble. When we miss it, we go back and we say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I missed it. I was insensitive to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, 1. Right? We have a song in our family. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6 1. That's right. And love your brothers and sisters. Justice, be a protector. You're learning to lay your life down for your wife someday. We talk about this a lot, don't we? By laying down your life and practicing with your sisters and with your mom. Go to the closet, son. We don't even come close to this unconditional and selfless love necessary to love those around us, even those closest to us. But Jesus is this love, and that's our hope. Come on, Jesus is this love. We don't have to look any further. Before we can ever be used by God to be His love to others, we have to first receive His love. And that happens on a daily basis. We receive a dispensation of His love through His Word. Because we're reminded. I know, as you guys, as we're reading the Word up here together, as you're hearing the Word and these words are impacting you, they are spirit, they are alive, and they are getting into you. And we receive His love through relationship with Him. 
I want us to uh, just conclude here this morning. Uh, I want you to just stand together with me. Religion is man's attempt to work his way into right relationship with God. Right standing with Him. Whereas Christianity is where God has initiated and He has made His way toward us. Toward mankind. It doesn't exist anywhere else. There's no other religion that has it. Everything else is man-centered, man-based. Starts with man, ends with man. But God came to us. And He's initiating with us continually, ongoing. He is giving us His love. Tough, tough love. But we have to receive. And here's the great thing about this. You say, well, I I, I really struggle with receiving God's love. Well, here's the thing. Not only do you need to receive it, but He gives us the ability, which is by His grace, to receive it. So any desire that you have toward God, that's because He's already given it to you. It's not because you have it in and of yourself. Right, right. And so this is a gift of His grace. So if there's something that has been sparked in you and you're responding, you're saying... Man, I, I just I love that and I love Jesus as a result of what I'm hearing and I, I want to receive more of that. That's all you have to do. That's Him doing His work in you. That's His giving you the ability to receive a greater dimension of His love. And so we're going to do that. If, if you want uh, someone to pray with you, just for something, something deeper. Maybe there's something separate um, in addition to what we're even talking about this morning. Then uh, we're going to have a, a prayer team that's going to be up here. And uh, they're going to pray over you. But I just want to pray over you just to receive. And I want you to just lift your hands. Remember, hands lifted apart from a heart lifted. It's kind of pointless. Just let your heart open up to Him. Jesus, we receive just through the work of faith. You're giving us Your faith to receive something that we could not have apart from You. And that is Your your love, Your agape. Lord, I release over husbands right now that agape love, that they would receive that and be able to be a conduit to be able to pour out on their, fam- on their, on their wives. Fathers, to be able to pour out your love that lays down its life for their children. Wives, mothers, children, Lord, I release on those that are not married yet such a depth of purity in every part of them, spirit, soul, and body. A purity that when they would touch the opposite sex, that that the purity of Jesus Christ would be in them and flow through them. 
that the words that they speak, that they would not uh, do something that would draw someone to themselves, but they would direct them to Christ. That they would be the words of life coming from them. Lord, we receive Your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Michael and uh, the team are going to be up here, and we're just going to release everyone right now. Uh, We've got coffee, and we have cookies. We just have coffee and tea. Perfect. The essentials for a party. So we're going to take some time just to hang out and uh, just get to know one another more. We're still getting to know one another as a church. And uh, so we invite you just to hang out here for a while. And uh, But if you would like prayer uh, for anything at all, these different ones up here are here to serve you, connect with you, and just agree with you uh, for whatever needs you have. Be blessed. Amen. We will see you Wednesday night. Amen. Thank you.